Welcome to the Period Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Donovan, registered dietitian and period recovery expert who has been where you currently are. This is the podcast to listen to if you want your period back month after month or if you want to restore your fertility and feel more relaxed around food and exercise. Consider this your safe space that will take the guests and the stress out of period recovery and bring you the information, the inspiration, tools, stories, and empowerment that are key in getting your period back month after month. Get ready to be inspired, get ready to get your period back, and get ready to get your life back. Come on, let's dive in. I am so excited to introduce to you guys the Eat to Regain Your Period group coaching program. If you are struggling to regain your period and you're feeling lost despite countless attempts to get it back, I invite you to apply to the Eat to Regain Your Period group coaching program. If you're really tired of doing all the things, getting no results, if you're dreaming of starting a family one day or just simply restoring your health, if you're seeking a holistic, natural way to get your period back without pills or supplements, or if you just need personal guidance on what might be missing to regain your period. With a team of registered dietitians, you are going to get a proven program that has helped hundreds of women across the world regain their cycles back, restore their fertility, and feel inspired and confident in a newfound health. You guys, don't let your missing period be the biggest issue in your life anymore. Join me and reclaim your health with the Eat to Regain Your Period group coaching program. To learn more, visit www.periodnutritionist.com. Hi, all. Welcome back to another episode of the Period Recovery Podcast. And today I am re-welcoming back my colleague, Dr. Christiana Schufelt from the Mayo Clinic in Florida. And Dr. Schufelt is leading the way in HA research. So we have some exciting things to share about what is happening in the HA world and how you could be a part of it. And in addition, We're going to get into some nitty-gritty stuff about PCOS and AMH, which is your anti-malarian hormone. So let's dig in. Let's start to talk to Dr. Schufel, and we have some exciting things coming up in this episode for you. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to welcome back Dr. Schufelt to the Period Recovery Podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you? Great. So good to be back. Yes. Happy New Year. We've been trying to get back together for a bit now, but with the holidays and the busyness of everything. So Dr. Schufelt, before we kind of get into our topics that we're going to chat about, I know you have a very important announcement on the research study that is undergoing for recruitment. So could you just share with the audience about what's going on with that? Yeah, absolutely. We are still actively recruiting to Mayo Clinic Florida women who are between the ages of 18 and 40 that have a diagnosis of HA or may have just have three or more missed periods in a row and it's suspected that you have HA. So obviously these are women that we are now actively studying. We're looking at the heart health and bone health in women with this condition and it is actually using a way to really identify exercise patterns, heart rate patterns and it's so we're actually using it a Fitbit mechanism. So women come down to Mayo Clinic. There's two visits on site. We have a travel stipend available to cover the cost. It's a real quick visit. It's about only three hours. So you can almost fly in the day before and then fly out the next day. Or if you want to enjoy Florida, because it's 
a little bit warmer than the rest of the country sometimes. Certainly that's an option too. So we're measuring heart health through a test called a non-invasive. So nothing's internal through things like blood pressure cuffs. It's a vascular function test and, and then a blood draw. And then you answer some questionnaires. We give you a Fitbit watch. You wear that for three months long. You answer some questionnaires and in the interim after month one and month two. And then at the end of three months, you come back down to our Mayo Clinic Florida campus again, another's travel stipend. And then we do the, the blood pressure testing again. So we're actually, and actually now we're adding on a bone scan. So this that's the nice thing is that once we get that finalized, women will also be able to get a bone DEXA scan. And that's information that we can hand right back to you. So you'll get your bone health information. So it's a three-month commitment, but it is a very minimal commitment in terms of overall time because it's just two visits to our campus and then some questionnaires. So at the end of the study, you're also compensated $100 for the completed visits. And then if you don't know if you have HA or you're just listening to this podcast and you have suspicion that you might have HA, our study would provide screening labs for you. So these are free of charge if you're interested and you sign the consent to enter into the study. So we're recruiting nationwide. So this is not just restricted to the East Coast or Florida itself. But again, we have the travel stipend available. So we do have a flyer that I think we'll, Cynthia, you could put that up because there's a QR code on it to scan to answer some simple questions. But for other information, it's also you can call 904-953-9805. And that's our study line. So obviously, research is of utmost importance to me. And I just want to emphasize that FHA or HA has been underreported, understudied, and undertreated. And it's probably much more common, as you well know, than we believe. If you look at the research out there right now, since 2015, which is when the Endocrine Society put out HA guidelines and recommendations and called for more research in those guidelines, there have actually only been 139 studies original publications, not review articles, since that time. Now compare that to other conditions, and I'm going to compare it directly to PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. In the same time period, there's been over 8,000 publications. So 8,000 original publications for PCOS, compare that to 139. So this is where we need to do catch up, and we need to know more, because it's not surprising that it's being underreported and understudied and doctors aren't recognizing it. We're not putting it out there and we're not making it mainstream. And that's one of the reasons I'm very passionate about HA research and is another reason, and this is an important one, that the NIH funded this study. So they're actually turning around and saying, wow, this is a condition we really should start looking at. Yeah, which is amazing because as a woman myself, Dr. felt that suffered from HA and got the misdiagnosis of PCOS and searched for answers for at least five years. Yeah, this is this is much needed for so many reasons. And I'm so excited that you are really, you know, leading the way of all this this research with HA because it is so needed. And I've waited a long time to start to, you know, get this to go more mainstream like PCOS because 8,000 compared to like a little over 100, that's a definitely a new stat I knew. And that is mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. And anyone can look this up. It's on PubMed.gov. That is the, the archive of where all publications live and are put. And you can just put in those dates and times and you'll see. And exclude review articles because while review articles are good, they're not providing us new information. Original studies or randomized trials or the study that we're conducting now at Mayo Clinic Florida is what we need. 
because that's going to help give us more answers. Absolutely. We definitely need the new studies. And HA is such a complex, you know, condition. There's so many factors that go into it. So I really appreciate you sharing this recruitment because it is so much needed. And I just want to reiterate the importance, like to the audience that's listening, like the importance of you being involved, like you can help make a difference in the world by, you know, making a commitment to being, I don't want to call it a test subject because you're not, but, you know, doing some science and making this world a better world when it comes to figuring out, you know, what the heck is going on with the female body when missing periods come about. And, you know, this is essential to get into, you know, medical teachings, right? Medical teaching and and honestly, medical guidelines. So participating in research now can actually change the future of women's health and for other women going forward. And so that's why I think it's so vital that we have the research and also for women that stand up and recognize and say, I have this condition and my doctor doesn't know what to do. Well, if you participate in the research that will probably be able to provide more information towards guidelines. And so doctors will know what to do, because I think that's such a common frustrating theme is that my doctor just gave me XYZ and I still didn't get my period back. Yep, absolutely. So speaking of the study, you get to go to Florida, which if you've never been, it's, well, mostly warm most times of the year. And that, you know, you have the opportunity to not have to like fight or pull your doctor to get lab work if you wanted lab work or a DEXA scan because most, I mean, I can't say for all insurance companies in the US, but most insurance companies won't just be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to, you know, give you a DEXA scan because you have no other reasons why you're, you know, 24 years old, you should have fine bones. So, so many great reasons to participate. And I'm going to include all this information in the show notes. And so without further ado, Dr. Shufel and I are going to dive into some really important topics that are very, a lot of misconceptions about them. The first one I want to delve into, because we sort of already started talking about is the PCOS thing. And, you know, just by saying like over 8,000 studies versus a little over 100 just goes to show you one of the many reasons why, you know, there could be a misdiagnosis because there's so much more information out there, right, on PCOS versus HA that, you know, doctors have more access to that and they can overlap a lot. So do we want to dig into a little bit of PCOS stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, you know, I always say women's health is not a competition. So we're not competing with PCOS, but we don't want HA just to go by the wayside. And the other comment I always say is if you better women's health, you better men's health. (laughs) I know we have to add that one in there. Mm -hmm. And we do have to add that in there because HA, you know, women at the end of the day have a menstrual cycle and we know when it's missing and that's not normal. Men don't have menstrual cycles and they do still get this they don't call it HA in men, they call it hypothalamic hypogonadism, but it's harder to diagnose because there is no clinical signal that they're missing a cycle, right? It's usually in extreme athletes, they fracture a bone. So that's my caveat. But let's dive into the diagnosis of PCOS and FHA. And and honestly, I will say that having done HA research now for over eight years continuously, this is one of those diagnoses that I get women that come in and they're saying, well, I don't have my period. I haven't had my period in two years, but my doctor told me I had PCOS. And then I look at their ovary ultrasounds or I look at their testosterone levels and they don't fall into the ranges that we would think of for PCOS. So polycystic ovary syndrome. So it's confusing. And usually when we think of PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, they think of that woman that might have acne because they 
tend to have higher levels of testosterone because the follicles in the ovaries are making and secreting more testosterone. So they have hair growth, they might have more fine hair growth or darker coarse hair on the parts of their body. And that's kind of been synonymous with PCOS. However, there is a type of PCOS, it's called phenotype D, as in dog, that doesn't have the high androgens or the high testosterone levels. PCOS type D is frequently confused with FHA, as these are women with lean PCOS. So the only way they were diagnosed is they have ovulatory dysfunction, so they have irregular menstrual cycles or amenorrhea, and they have polycystic ovary morphology, which means that they have on ultrasound of their ovaries, they have greater than 12 follicles, which are the little circular eggs that we can measure by ultrasound in each ovary or their ovary is actually larger in at least one of their ovaries. So that's not a lot of women go out down the pathway of getting ovary ultrasounds. So if they go into their doctor and they don't have high signs of high testosterone, but they tell them, I have been skipping my periods or I don't have my period, they might get labeled with that PCOS because it is. So, so that's where I think a lot of the crossover and confusion. But the good news is, and this is where you and I have talked about, is the doctors need to ask questions, right? not just assume that it's PCOS because a woman doesn't ever cycle. And that takes time. And we need to be asking the right questions. And, you know, about exercise patterns, about eating patterns, about, you know, weight loss even because of the restricted eating patterns or excessive exercise, or even just the pure sheer level of stress, which we know we are now in a post-pandemic epidemic of stress, right? So these are things that will really help discern just on initial evaluation, right? Because while the criteria, the diagnostic criteria is called the Rotterdam criteria for PCOS, those are just criteria. We need to be doing a good job, obviously, of how clinically a patient presents and what we should be asking. Because someone that's coming in that doesn't have their period with hot flashes, we know that's probably not FHA or PCOS. That's probably menopause. So it really does come down to history and physical exam, right? History, history, history. And, you know, in the, in the era of electronic health records, a lot of this is already entered for us. You know, and in the time of of medicine right now, it's the time that we need and the value and what is the needs of the patient. So it's, it's asking those specific questions. And then the other good thing is that there are some laboratory tests that could really distinguish between this PCOS type D and HA. If your doctor has told you had PCOS, you might want to ask, and this is where the, the hormones come in, what your estrogen level was, because PCOS might have more of a average normal range of estrogen, while HA might have a very low range of estrogen. The other factors that can help distinguish is luteinizing hormone, which is called LH, and follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH. If you take a look at both of those, in HA, LH is one of the hallmarks is it's shut off. So women tend to have much lower LH than they do FSH. But it's the opposite in PCOS. LH tends to rise because of the polycystic ovaries making more of that feedback mechanism to make more of that. So that's where one distinguishing feature can come into play, right? So if you look at that FSH-LH ratio in PCOS, it's usually greater than two. And in HA, it's usually less than one. So again, a good kind of practice pearl, a little knowledge pearl for women who might be confused or frustrated. And then there's this whole, is there a crossover between a woman can have PCOS and HA? And certainly that's also a consideration as well. 
Yeah. And I've had, gosh, out of the hundreds of women I've seen Dr. Shufel, I've had maybe two. I was actually talking with my colleague about this too, who just primarily works with HA and she's like, same over hundreds, maybe, maybe one or two. So it's not as common. And, but I always like to say, well, okay, you know, what if I have both? Well, guess what? We have to work on first, at least as a dietitian in, in my eyes. And please feel free to share your opinion, but we got to heal that HA first. And I'm not saying like, you know, if you have PCOS, there's a whole insulin thing going on. Like I don't, you know, encourage you to go eat pancakes for breakfast and then bagels for lunch and then pasta for dinner and nothing else. We're still working on a balanced diet, which in turn is not only going to help you improve your energy deficit, but in turn also keep that blood sugar a little bit more stable. And we won't get too much into the science of that, but that's my take on it. If it was a dual kind of thing. And so what I want to just reiterate here, Dr. Chappelle, is that if a woman goes to the doctor, she gets an ultrasound, they see quote unquote polycystic ovaries, and she has irregular or missing periods, they can slap that diagnosis on of PCOS due to the Rotterdam criteria. I guess to sum it up a little bit that even if, you know, your doctor's like, oh, well, this is the the criteria and you meet both of them. So boom, there it is. Yeah. But I think that LHFSH ratio is key determinant. Yes. And perhaps maybe you ask your doctor to say, okay, you know, can you share my lab work with me? And just curious your thoughts on FSH and LH and to use your discernment on like, okay, well, is this doctor going to be on my team or is this doctor not going to be on my team in regards to that? And I don't ever tell my clients to not listen to their doctors, but I also tell them like, trust your intuition, trust your research that you've been doing on yourself, ask the questions. And if they're not able to support you, then, you know, what stops you from making your own lifestyle changes so you can heal your HA? And I think the underlying is getting down to what is the underlying cause of the HA and really having insight and maybe talking to an expert that, okay, it probably is due to, you know, my disordered eating patterns. And they might not even, what you might not even think is disordered because we just did some research evaluating the eating patterns compared to women who get their regular menstrual cycle and young women with HA. And we were surprised because you would expect that there with disordered eating, perhaps there would be calorie intake restriction. And there was no difference in calorie intake. Calorie content was different, much different, meeting higher grams of fiber in women with HA compared to women with their menstrual cycles. And so we do want to take into consideration what you might suspect might be your the cause for your HA, because we can only help as physicians and healthcare providers what the information that you could share with us. So I think that's really being turning to yourself and being honest about what could possibly be. Is it the stress? I had one patient and her mother had passed away and suddenly, unexpectedly, and she was going off to college. And I think that was just, it was not about food. It was not about exercise. It was sheer stress. So as a good provider, we need to be listening. Yeah. And two things that, you know, you're talking about what is the underlying reason and how you said comparing the, you know, missing period person to the the non more fiber intake. Well, as HA women love our vegetables, that's for darn sure and our fiber. But just thinking about that in regards, this quote unquote disordered eating is extremely normalized and praised. And so sometimes we don't even know that it's happening. I can't tell you, Dr. Shufelt, how many women are like, but I am like eating enough and I am eating right. And I'm even, you know, doing more than I ever did. And it's still, you know, not enough. So I always like to say what we think, you know, what our bodies actually think. 
yeah, we got two different things going on. And then I just want to say something about the stress factor because I, I sometimes get that question a lot. I'm like, well, maybe it's just stress. Like my period's missing because of stress. And this is my take on it. And I, I want to know your your opinion is that while stress can play a very important role, likely in some capacity, this stress is impacting your intake or impacting like maybe, you know, you deal with stress by exercising your your head off, right? So that there's stress is a big factor, but also I think has some type of correlation to our intake or potentially our movement. Absolutely. When I lecture on this and I have a slide up talking about HA's diagnoses, I actually have a Venn diagram. So you've got, you know, three circles that you know, overlap in two quadrants and overlap in the, the other one, and then all three in the middle. And that's, you know, one is disordered eating, one is stress, and one is excessive exercise. And, you know, it could be a combination. It's an and or. And what is stress to one woman is much different than stress to another. And so how we internalize stress and how we take on stress is just, it's important to recognize. And that's also another reason why stress is hard to study because it's is different in every single woman. But you're right, exactly. The stress could be directly playing an impact on eating, could directly be playing an impact on your exercise patterns. I've actually seen this on a poster that exercise is your best anti-anxiety medication. Well, not if the stress is the cause for you to go exercise, right? And then causing you to lose your period. That's not when we want you exercising. And exercising without estrogen probably isn't as good as what we would think exercising is with estrogen. So yeah, that's super important because I do have, you know, not not to say that nobody's using using it as an excuse because everybody perceives stress in a different way, but that stress alone, even if it was, for example, you know, somebody very close to you passed away, big life changes that your period could potentially impact. I know I was under a, a great deal of stress a few years ago and my period was like 10 days late, which I had knew that A, the stress, B, it affected my intake. You know, I was so stressed I could hardly eat. But my period wasn't missing for years. It wasn't missing for months, right? So that's, you know, look at the time frame. If your period has been missing for a few months, girlfriend, that is more than just stress. It's, you know, intake related of food and potentially, you know, output of energy, you know, aka exercise. So I'm glad you shared that and kind of we debunked that a little bit. So Trying to think if there's anything else PCOS related that you'd want to mention. And if not, I'd like to maybe touch upon AMH. And then I do want to share with the audience the amazing things and research you're doing with HA. Yeah, and our upcoming research. But yeah, well, AMH kind of covers over into PCOS as well. So we can talk about that. Uh, certainly, first of all, what is AMH? So AMH is called anti-malarian hormone. It is a test that measures the amount of AMH in a blood sample, so in your bloodstream. And it corresponds really to a person's egg count in the ovaries. However, it doesn't necessarily predict your fertility. So for example, when AMH is low or very ultra low, which is less than 0.4 in a blood test, it might reveal that the number of eggs remaining may be aging, but that doesn't mean that one of those eggs can't become fertile. So there was big hopes that we would be able to help 
use this blood test to predict actually menopause because the idea was as if your AMH is low and your ovary eggs were aging, then could that tell us when you're entering menopause? Because menopause is the opposite spectrum of fertility. It is a time of a woman's life where the ovary is stopping making estrogen. And that's different than HA because that's a natural, normal stage of a woman's life. But again, AMH wasn't terribly helpful and didn't pan out to be a helpful predictor of the exact time point of when a woman enters menopause. So just because you have a low AMH doesn't mean you're entering menopause. And just because you have a low AMH, it means that you're the number of eggs maybe aging, but it as my one of my best friends who's a reproductive endocrinologist, she always says it just takes one egg. That's all it is. Just one. But how it crosses over with PCOS is that elevated AMH levels has now have now been added to the criteria for PCOS. So it's more about does the poly, do you have polycystic ovaries or do you have elevated AMH? And Some studies have recommended that an AMH level greater than 3.8 to 5 is what we would see in PCOS. However, no recommended threshold or value has really been established. And then we don't measure, we don't, ultrasound at AMH is not recommended to diagnose for PCOS if it's only been eight years since you started your first period. So that's another important aspect to think about because HA, now how, how does this relate back to HA? HA, while it can impact a lot of hormones, it does not impact AMH. Women with HA, we don't tend to see high or low AMH. So there's that component of it. And the one of the good things of HA is that while you're actively having HA, it's a form of infertility. It is a very reversible form. Once you recover, and I'm sure you hear about this with your patients too, Cynthia, is that you know you could get pregnant. You can actually even get pregnant through fertility treatments if you have active HA, but we need to understand really, does that impact the pregnancy if you're still actively having signs or symptoms of HA because, you know, a lot of hormones are disrupted as well. So that's AMH overall. And so I think the the take home for me is that it's not impacted by having HA. And so if a, let's just scenario play for a minute, if a woman that definitely has HA, like she's checking all the boxes, she exercises, you know, a good amount or just isn't generally eating enough because you don't have to be an avid exerciser to have HA and she gets her lab work done and, you know, goes through the whole, you know, assessment with her doctor and AMH comes back, we'll just say low. And, but she also has all the attributes of a typical ha like to call. So what would be, I mean, your suggestions of next steps for that particular woman? Would you, you know, say, okay, let's take a peek at these labs. Like, let's take a look at this. And, you know, if her doctor is like, well, your AMH is, you know, in the crapper, like low. And they're like, well, you're going to have to have IBF or even as far as like donor eggs go. But mostly just say, you know, you're going to have to have fertility treatment. We know, like you said, HA is reversible. But what about this AMH? Because this scares a lot of women a lot of women. And I even remember back in the day when I was going through HA, I had my AMH tested and they were like, oh, it's normal. So you're good. You got eggs. Like, don't worry. But 
now for the woman that might have low AMH, but also be suffering from HA, then... Yeah. So the two may be unrelated, right? So we can have... There's a lot of reasons you can have low AMH. Aging is one of the more common ones. The older we get, the lower our AMH levels get. That's why fertility decreases. The diagnosis of infertility or concern is if you had regular cycles and you haven't been able to get pregnant for six months, that's infertility. If you've had irregular cycles and it's been 12 months and you haven't been able to get pregnant, that's infertility. So that that's for me as a clinician who is not a reproductive endocrinologist, but that's when I refer patients to go see reproductive endocrine and go through all of the options because certainly this is a field that's changing kind of daily. <laughs> it really does feel like that. But it does mean that women who have lower AMH have diminished ovarian reserve. That's something that it's a term that we use. And we know that women's fertility declines as she ages. But if this is a young woman in her 20s who has HA and then is told that they have a low AMH, there could be other factors that could be related to that lower AMH level. So that would be time to seek treatment. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have IVF, but it means that you need to seek someone above just a general internist, general OBGYN, and a fertility specialist. Yeah, that's good to know. And I just want to say, could I say this is true that if your AMH is low, doesn't mean you can't heal from HA. Oh, exactly. Right. Okay. So, because that's an important point. Okay. So, I'm glad we got to delve into a little bit of PCOS, a little bit of AMA. So, I want to know do we have a few minutes left to just share what you're working on, what you're going to be working on in the future, and then wrap things up? Right. So, you heard about our exciting study that's ongoing right now in Florida that is the vascular testing and HA followed for three months. But we're also starting, and this is the first of its kind, an, an international registry. So this is to understand the experiences of women with HA, the causes, kind of get to some of the causes of HA, the recovery patterns of HA, and as well as understand even things as simple as sleep patterns or even sexual health patterns. So we're asking in a questionnaire form through a survey after women have qualified for, they have to have the diagnosis of HA to enter the registry. Once you sign the consent and if you, it's an electronic consent, everything's done electronically. So this can be done from your home or wherever you are because it is an international study worldwide. It is only in English, however, right now, but we will be entering women who have the diagnosis, have the labs, that shows they have HA and then asking a baseline questionnaire, again, about quality of life, about things like experiences with HA, maybe takes about 10, 15 minutes. That's it. And then at three months, we're going to be asking questions again. That might take about 10 minutes. And then annually thereafter, because not only do we want to know about the experiences, but we want to know about recovery. We want to know about things like pregnancy. Were you able to get pregnant after you had HA? Did you seek fertility treatment? Did this happen naturally? So these are all the questions that we've been working on for about six months in to these big registry questionnaires. And so stay tuned. We're rolling that out in about a month and a half. And then we'll also have another QR code that you could just scan and read more information on it. But that's another powerful way that we as women can provide vital information and research and up that number. Remember that really low number of publications that are out there. So again, it's all part of research. It's all voluntary for that. Your questions are all compliant and anonymous. So that's something that is also important because as we share information, it's also important to know that we need as much information from all demographics, from all age groups of women that have HA. So that's to be excited for and, and to be coming soon. And that's in hopefully in March, right? About a month and a half? About a month and a half. Yeah. 
we'll be launching. Well, I cannot wait to support you guys in in sharing that because I think that's amazing and much needed. Yeah, definitely. But thank you so much because this is so important and vital. So this is fantastic. And thank your audience too, because you are the ones that are boots on the ground, that are listening, that are sharing the information. And so that's where I think I call it the girlfriend effect. If you can start sharing this information to your friends or people that you might know that have this condition or even through social media, I think it's a great and more valuable experience than I can do sitting in a doctor's office, seeing one patient at a time, right? Absolutely. I agree. And that is so important. So if you're listening to this episode, definitely share it. Leave a review on the podcast because guess what? That helps this podcast get in front of more women's eyes. So you have the opportunity to not only participate in some research, but to share some amazing content in hopes to make a huge impact on women's health across the world. So thank you, Dr. Schufeld, for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. Hi, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to think and reflect on how this could be helpful in your period recovery journey. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Period Recovery Podcast. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and I'm so excited and grateful you are here listening with me. If you need more support on your period recovery journey, schedule a time to chat with me on my website, periodnutritionist.com. If you found this podcast helpful, Please help me spread awareness on missing periods by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with others. Are you ready to get your period back and your life back? I'll see you in two weeks.